Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Welcome to another BritFlix.com podcast. My name's Stuart Wright, and today's guest is Anna Kale. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Lovely to be here. Indeed, indeed. Now, you're an arts and culture writer who specialises in classic film and TV. You have a book out called The Real Diana Doors that's available to buy from all good bookshops, as I understand it. Absolutely, yes. And people can people by just searching your name will find many an interesting article written by you. In particular, one that stood out for me was your your ten great British seaside films for the BFI. Oh wow, yeah, that was great fun to write. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. I imagine so. Welcome to the show. You're going to do um, three films that have impacted everything in your adult life. A format that I've been playing with since December and having a lot of fun with. I should add. Um, but before we do, let's talk about some of your stuff. Um, let's start with the real Diana Doors. Um, this is a question I ask. I ask a lot of documentary filmmakers when they do a documentary. Where obviously you go in with a perceived idea of something, and then you make a film, and then you come out the other side. So I imagine when you're writing a biography, there's a perception you might enter the process with, and then there's maybe some change in that perception as you go. So what for you was the biggest surprise and/or revelation? Once you started to concentrate and write a book about Diana Doors that you might not have had had you not done the pro- gone through the process. Yeah, so there was um, there was a lot to learn about Diana Doors. I thought I knew her and I thought I knew her work, but actually, there's so many more layers to her career and to to her as a person and the, the journey she went on mm. as a person. So it was wonderful to be able to build that picture of her. But also for me, what one of the things that uh, really stood out was. I'd, I'd seen, you know, various things about her. I'd read other, there are other biographies, not not recently perhaps, but certainly, you know, mm. in kind of in the past that there have been biographies written about her. Yeah. But they're all from a certain perspective. Um, they're all, you know, from a male perspective. And there weren't many books or articles written about from a female perspective. And that was something I wanted to bring um, into that kind of study of her and her work. Yeah. was a different perspective. My perspective as, as a woman and now looking back on her, and the the social journey, you know, that she was involved with as well as, as you know, the, the time she lived in was a fascinating time in mm. British City, but also in British life. And she uh, navigated that, you know, um, in a really interesting way. So it was great to, I guess, kind of unpick the jigsaw around her and her work and her life. And, you know, there'd often been focused on maybe the more salacious aspects of, of her personal life. Yeah, and yeah, obviously yeah. in articles or books written about her. So I wanted to, to really dig deeper and kind of really try to get to understand her as a person and as a performer um, and kind of build that jigsaw back together again, you know, and kind of um, see where I got to with the research that I did. But luckily for me, Diana Dodd wrote a lot herself. She was a very witty and intelligent woman, uh, really um, keen to kind of get her own story out there and, and write herself. You know, she wrote articles, she wrote a number of books herself as well. So it was great to kind of revisit and visit those and kind of read 
her own view of herself and how that changed over time. So there was loads of great source materials I could use for the book. And it was great to kind of piece that all together to give what really what I wanted to do is give it a, a, a bit of an introduction to her as a performer, but also into her, her place in British cinema and as a screen star, and then kind of maybe set people off on a journey to find out more um, about her and her work. So if, if, you know, one person kind of finds her and, and watches some of her films as a result of reading the book, then I'm really happy because that's what I wanted to do is kind of, you know, just put her story out there for, for people to kind of read and enjoy and hopefully find out more as a result. Nice one. Nice one. I mean, she, she strikes me if I think about what I can, what I might think of her is somebody who sort of trailblazed the kind of, you know, the, the siren, as it were, you know, she was a kind of, you know, a Marilyn Monroe figure in a, in a headline tabloidy way, but also she was a trailblazer on the other end as well is that she carried on performing and acting into, uh, as she matured. She didn't, it didn't just stop for her then. And, it, and obviously this is, yeah. this is a recurring thing that's still sadly discussed to this day, that there's like a shelf life for, for female actors. And mm. the fact is she did, she did actually still carry on to be, to be present in film and TV after the, you know, the glamour years, I suppose, before a better expression. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. She, she, um, yeah, she had very interesting, different chapters to her career. She kept coming back, you know, she had, um, she had knockbacks and she had kind of um, difficulties in, in terms of kind of, I guess, pursuing the career she perhaps wanted, but she mm. kept, uh, she kept going, she kept working um, you know, she she was able to create a really interesting nuanced career, both on screen, um, on on cinema, and also in TV. She did a lot of TV work as well, oh. particularly in later years when she was allowed to kind of take on those character roles and kind of maybe the focus wasn't just on you know her beauty. I mean, she was a beautiful woman, mm. um, you know, very glamorous woman, but and she remained so all through her life. But you know, there was a focus more on her acting skills. You know, from certainly from the seventies onwards, and she really kind of showed and demonstrated what a, a good actor she was mm. um, and it you know she could have gone on to do so many other you know wonderful things had she not died you know obviously so young mm. um it would have been fascinating to see what she went on to do because i think there's so much more that she could she could give um in terms of her acting and her personality you know she was great as a you know a chat show guest or you know quiz show, whatever it was you know yeah. she turned her hand to she was great and she obviously loved what she did and that really came across in her performances, which is why people absolutely loved her. You know, there's so much outpouring of love for her when I started the book and people getting in touch and saying, oh, I remember on this, I remember on that, you know, um, really just genuine kind of affection for her, um, you know, as, as a personality oh, and amazing. as an actor. And what, what when you went back over her own writing then, what was your favourite discovery of that that you, were, that you unearthed that you put in the book? I think uh, there were some books you could kind of see she was kind of maybe... Um, you know, she was after the salacious. So she she understood how things worked. You know, she was very savvy, and she understood what was it, the expectation was in terms of the kind of output she might um, might put out there. Yeah. For example, one of the titles was the A to Z of Men, um, which was an interesting <laughs> read. Um, and there were other titles like that. But actually, her second, she did two autobiographies. Okay, one when she was incredibly young. It came out, I think, in the early sixties, um, called Swinging Doors. Mm. And if you can get hold of a copy, it's a wonderful book. Um, absolutely fascinating fascinating read uh, from a younger perspective and you know her to then you know varied and an inter interesting career but you know she was still only what 30 at that time 
um, if that. And, you know, she'd done so much up to that point. And that was an interesting, entertaining read. But her second autobiography, which came out in 1980, um, is really interesting to kind of see her reflecting on her own career and her own journey um, and kind of the different perspectives she brings kind of later on. Um, and the two books side by side, it's really interesting to kind of see the, the difference in, in the approach. Yeah, I imagine, I imagine you've got, on the one hand, you've got modernism and the birth of popular culture. And I guess by, by 1980, we're entering the postmodern era where we're beginning to reflect mm-hmm. on a history of popular culture. You know, it's, Absolutely. it's got Absolutely. like a long tail then, hasn't it, at that point? It's no longer yeah. surprising us. We're trying to manufacture it like never before, I think, by 1980. Yeah, absolutely. Um, another another key a key interest for you in terms of writing, and we'll we'll come we'll come across this filmmaker uh, in in your three selections is Bill Forsyth. So, yes. do you want to talk about what you've been doing in, in in terms of in terms of writing and work about him? Yeah, so um, after I finished the Diana Dawes book, um, we were still in lockdown, and we were still kind of you know um, in the kind of the throes of, of all that, and I. I wanted another project to focus on um, and I'd always wanted to write more about Bill Forsyth um, as a filmmaker. Hmm. Um, and one of the things, again, I kind of reflected on, there, was, there wasn't much out there in terms of kind of um, re-evaluation of his films or kind of a, a look at his whole career. You know, obviously people focus on certain films, you know, Gregory's Girl or Local Hero, which are wonderful films, you know, absolutely, you know, lovely examples of his work. But, he, you know, he's made more than that, you know, and he's made several Indeed. films which people kind of haven't noticed or they haven't seen or they've kind of forgotten about. So I wanted to do a bit of a kind of uh, focus on him, but from a personal perspective. So I did it um, as a kind of, I guess, a series of essays um, initially. Yeah. Um, I just kind of started writing, you know, you kind of, you write, you start writing and you just kind of keep writing. I also uh, did a series of podcasts as well, Mm. uh, focusing on each of his films. So it's obviously starting with that sinking feeling, his first film, right through uh, to you know, the latest film that he's made, which was in the 90s. You know, he hasn't made a film for a very long time, mm. um, although he, he says he he, he still intends to. Um, oh, and wow. so I wanted to look at each of those films, get on a guest who, you know, I knew maybe had an interest in him or might bring an interesting perspective to, to those particular films and have a conversation about, you know, the, the film and what they meant to them or, you know, what they kind of got from watching or re-watching mm. uh, that, that particular film. And the the essays kind of, I did an essay per film um, and kind of pulled them together and, into a little kind of, I guess, a, a booklet um, <laughs> of kind of um, an illustrated booklet. And I um, worked with a wonderful illustrator called um, Eli Allison, who um, created these wonderful um, illustrations for each of the films um, to kind of bring into that illustrated book. Absolutely beautiful drawings. Oh, fantastic. Um, so it was it was about kind of celebrating him in a visual way as well, and what yeah. the feel that you get from his films, as well as kind of the the, the written kind of uh, form from from me and my feelings towards each of those each of those films, kind of in turn. So it was great. It was a lovely project to kind of do, and I, I was really pleased to kind of get it out there for people to to enjoy. Um, so yeah, the podcasts obviously are, are available on good podcast providers. Um, yeah. It's called Ten Thousand Grains of Sand which um, is a reference to Local Hero, which obviously we will, we will talk about uh, yeah. potentially on uh, later. Yeah, no, I, I was I was fortunate enough because a film I'd never seen of his just dropped on um, dropped on Netflix a few a few months back. It may even be a year back now. Uh, Comfort and Joy, which I'd never seen oh, before. Yeah, well, that's one of my favourites. Yeah. Um, yeah. Best, best Christmas film ever, that the Comfort and Joy, I think. Well, I was, I was just struck by, I mean, and I guess it's one of the things about when about the again, in a way, the importance of making British cinema about British life is that 
yes. looking at it now, it's a genuine social doc, social history document as much as it is a piece of history, you know, part of the histo- uh, cinema canon come out of Britain actually when you look at it you get a view of British life because yeah it's a it's a it's a snapshot in time isn't it absolutely it's mid-80s Britain it's kind of yeah it's an interesting um looking film from from that point of view um yeah beautifully shot I, I love that film I could talk about that film as well for ages but I, I won't <laughs> well look uh, I'll put links in the show notes to to all the things you, you that we've highlighted here um and we'll move on swiftly to three films that have impacted everything in your adult life. Um, I've got the list of three. Now, for the benefit of someone that hasn't heard this before, I'll just quickly go over the rules, and obviously for your benefit too. Um, <laughs> the rules are quite simple. We're going to go through the three films, but we're only going to go through them five minutes at a time. So I'm going to set my timer, which is what I'm doing now while I avoid eye contact with it, Anna. Um, <laughs> and then when the clock gets to five minutes, we'll hear this sound, Anna. You can hear that at your end, okay? I can, yeah. Fantastic. I might ignore it though. I might keep talking. That's no, no, thing. plenty of people do, but uh, <laughs> it's it's at least a chance for me, passive aggressively, to say times up on that film. And the, and the most important thing is, it's about making sure that we at least give core attention to each film, yeah. um, and that's the whole point of it. Really. And a bit, it's had a little bit of fun with the Jeopardy. Um, so <laughs> I'm going to do. I mean, I can do them in the order you're giving me, or I can do them in the order of the release. Which would you prefer? Oh, goodness. Um, the order I gave them in, I think. Okay, cool. Because I think that was a nat- natural kind of progression in my mind. Right then. Your first film on your list is Saturday Night and Sunday Morning. Do you want to tell us where where that fits into your film-watching life and how it has yeah, so, you? Yeah, so, yeah, I discovered Saturday Night and Sunday Morning, um, I think, as my gateway to film and cinema and kind of oh, really word. thinking, wow, this, this is, you know, an amazing experience. Um, so, you know, I, I was uh, in my teens when I first saw it and I, I actually saw it, um, I'd read the book um, in, in my early teens. My English teacher when I was at school kind of latched on to the fact that I was obviously looking for, for more challenging reading um, at that age and, and, and recommended uh, Saturday Night and Sunday Morning to me to, to read. Um, okay. And it was a wonderful book. And as I, as I read, I kind of started to then voraciously read all the books from, from that period, you know, the kind of the kitchen sink type, you know, um, angry young men books mm. that we were out there. I, I think I, you know, kind of um, cleaned out my uh, local library pretty quick in terms of kind of, you know, the books that are available. And then I, st- I started to move on to, to watch the films. You know, I've, I found out the films had been made of some of the books um, and started watching them. And Saturday night and Sunday morning was an absolute revelation to me in terms of, just the way that it captured the spirit of the book, but then even more so, you know, it had, it's such an impactful film. Mm. Um, it's a great story, you know, the, it's very true to, to the book, but the performance of Albert Finney in the lead role of Arthur Seaton, um, which is just astounding, it's so energetic, so um, raw and, yeah, just like nothing that I'd ever been seen before, I think, in, you know, in British cinema, this was something incredibly new. Mm. It wasn't the first, you know, of, of the British New Wave films, but for me, it's the most impactful um, and the most interesting to watch, you know, the way it was put together. So Carol Rice is the um, the director, you know, kind of his uh, background in social realist filmmaking and the free cinema movement and bringing all that to the screen and really absolutely encapsulating what the British New Wave was about mm. and kind of in that film. And it's such a great story. Uh, you know, Arthur Seaton is, is an absolute anti-hero very different to any kind of um, 
you know, kind of star of a film that you or char- main character in a film that you might have seen before. And it just was, um, yeah, a, a breathtaking ride, I think. And you can see the influence of it, you know, kind of um, in, in other cinema now, you know, the impact of that film in particular, I think is the one that's really kind of um, struck a chord with people, with, you know, with filmmakers as they then, you know, approach kind of making their own films. You can see that now, you know, um, right through time from when it came out in 1960, right through to, to now really with some of the yeah. British filmmakers that are working now and the, the spirit that they bring to that work I think has, has really been informed by Saturday night and Sunday morning um, and yeah I just think it is a wonderful wonderful example of how you can really bring something new to film and really kind of just turn everything on its head um, and the main performances are fantastic you know Albert Finney obviously in that lead role but also Rachel Roberts um, in in a, in a role within that film I think she's fantastic and really um I guess, underrated star of kind of the British new wave um, in terms of, you know, people focus on the men and, you know, the the kind of the male um, kind of, you know, roles with it within, you know, that British kind of film movement, but she's wonderful. She's wonderful in this. She's wonderful in this sporting life as well, which obviously was um, a film that came out in 63, Um, a real underrated, wonderful actor. She's just amazing. And I think she brings a really nuanced, interesting performance to her role as Brenda in, in yeah. this film in particular, um, but yeah, those two together on the screen are just just wonderful. Yeah, I'm get, I'm guessing there with what with that you sort of, I guess for the for the popular culture at the time, it was enough of a revolution. Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me what inspires your music, and one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. And for us to have working class people front and center yes. being angry at the world, not let alone Absolutely. the fact that we could say there's angry men and women yeah. in the working class culture. I mean, that, you know, and yeah. 1960s are really pivotal year because you've got Peeping Tom, you've got Psycho, you know, these are like, yeah. you know, British films yeah. really, British filmmakers are really ripping things up, aren't they? That, Absolutely. For, but this was authentic. You know, this was a really authentic film, you yeah. know, from a working class perspective. Mm. Um, I think some some of the uh, slightly earlier film, Room at the Top, is a good example of that it was trying, you know, it was trying to get there, but it wasn't mm. quite there. There was a kind of staginess to it that, you know, just... Um, kind of didn't quite get to where this film did in terms mm. of kind of having that energy um, and that kind of really authentic approach to demonstrating, you know, the, the realities of working class life, but not in a really downtrodden way. Yeah. You know, Arthur is absolutely enjoying himself. He's enjoying his life and he he's out there and he's just demonstrating what it was like to be a working class man with a bit of money in his pocket in 1960 or, you know, the late 50s, early 60s. Um, and it just, yeah, it, it's just... Um, yeah, a, a wonderful example of, of how film can have a real impact, I think. Yeah, no, it's it's the the seeing the liberation, I think, as much as anything else, of of and getting it documented because obviously we we get used to high society and middle class life all the time. Uh still to this day, unfortunately. And the idea yeah. that if you show working, it must mean it must be toil, it must be hard. The idea yeah. that you're you're not just surviving, you're actually thriving. Yeah. Is oh, absolutely. It's almost as rebellious as, as the, just the film itself, you know. Yeah, the rest is propaganda, as um, yeah. Arthur Seaton says. <laughs> <laughs> right then. The, 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 the alarm has gone for five minutes, so um, moving swiftly along, but going back two decades to a yeah. very different type of movie, a very, a very Hollywood movie, 
but with a with a very strong um, very strong text to it is uh, his Gil Friday from nineteen forty. Yeah, so I um, I watched started watching kind of screwball comedies um, again in my teens. I mean, you, you probably tell you know my my teenage years were really. Um, important in terms of kind of that introduction to film and getting really excited about cinema and kind of really just watching everything, you know, that kind of came along. Um, the whole point yeah, of this started... podcast is to tap into that that rich scene yeah. of discovery. Absolutely. And um, I think the screwball comedies were just like the pinnacle of what, you know, um, the, the clever um, kind of right dialogue, the kind of the, the really clever screenplays, just the, the wonderful stories, the acting, the directing, everything kind of comes together on the screen in a really kind of smooth, professional way. But in a, they're so fun, you know, there's so much fun, so much enjoyment to be had from them. Um, and I think from a perspective of, of being a teenage girl, you know, I saw on on screen, you know, strong female characters, or strong female leads in those films. Um, and in particular, His Girl Friday w- was the standout uh, film for me. Rosalind Russell in, in the main uh, role as Hildy uh, was just wonderful. When she came on the screen, I was just mesmerised by her and her performance. But she absolutely has equal billing with Cary Grant in this film. And yeah, that's yeah. the same, you know, across across the kind of, you know, the rest of the kind of films in this in this kind of uh, genre, I guess, is that kind of equal billing, you know, the male-female um, kind of, you know, the scattergun dialogue, the kind of the way that they interact, the cleverness and the deftness in which they perform. Mm. What is re- really clever, interesting roles for women. Um, and I think it was a really fascinating time for for, for, for women in, in, in cinema and in, in film. And the wonderful performances like Russell in this film, obviously Catherine Hepburn as well in, in Bringing Up Baby or, you know, some of the other films. Just wonderful examples, um, you know, to, to kind of set. And I absolutely wanted to be Rosalind Russell in this film. You know, she was clever, she was witty, she was really kind of like engaging. Um, but also she was a newspaper reporter, which is what I wanted to be at that time. You know, she was absolutely living the life that I wanted for myself. And I, you know, I absolutely loved seeing this film and kind of seeing that story played out. Um, it's just great. They're just great fun, but really intelligent as well. I think in the way that the stories are put across, you know, they are romantic, they're romantic films, but told in quite a different way to how I think people experience romance and, and romantic comedies now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And things have kind of shifted, but maybe not for the better in terms of how those kind of stories are perceived. Um, and I think, you know, romantic comedies are incredibly important in kind of, in terms of film um, kind of history. And, um, you know, they're often underplayed and downplayed in terms of their importance. Um, and there isn't as much study of them. There isn't as much focus. But actually, they're really important for people because people engage. They see themselves. They see their own kind of stories, maybe. Um, you know, they're, they're wonderful um, kind of way to kind of engage people in cinema. And I think often people, you know, they kind of underestimate the impact that they can have. Mm. I think done well, a romantic comedy is is an absolutely wonderful thing. I think, I think unfortunately, I think at some point in the, I think by the nineties, the marketing people sort of ruined the idea of romantic comedy being a, being a serious thing by using this expression, you know, a chick flick as a, as yes. a way of marketing it. So suddenly it had to then play to some sort of, femininity thing. I mean, it's interesting you chose this film because uh, a filmmaker called Paige Feldman, she came on and did uh, five boss bitch romantic comedies, of which this was one. Um, yeah. And it's really interesting to think of a 1940s film being the progressive text as opposed to one from, say, 90, you know, 40 years later that was just kowtowing to yeah. a kind of... what A film for women and a film for men. You know, you had, you had action, yeah. you had Stallone and Schwarzenegger for men, and you had these other films for women almost like, you know. Yeah. 
It's crazy. And yeah, it, it really, yeah, we need to turn that on its head, really. You know, they, 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 these roles, you know, Russell in, in this film in particular, you know, they, mm. these are strong, clever women. And, you know, I wanted to be her and I wanted to experience romance in the way that she was experiencing it on screen. You know, I absolutely wanted to find someone who was my, you know, my equal, you know, in, in terms of kind of, um, you know, the witty one-liners and kind mm. of, you know, um, just having that kind of, um, really kind of warmth um, that obviously comes through from, from, from the films as well. Um, and I wonder, there's always a wonderful payoff as well. And it always ends so beautifully. You know, there's always this wonderful coming together of the storyline and those characters. And yeah, just just lovely uh, telling of a story, you know, in, in each of these films. But in His Girl Friday in particular, I just love it, the pace of it. It's wonderful. Do you, do you remember when you, when you first saw this, do you remember that sort of thinking this isn't, this isn't normal, you know, like, you know, what was, this is, I, I'm seeing... Mm. The, the 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 male female cast being given yes. equal billing could you sense that yes because I'd I'd seen like at that stage probably some of the, maybe some of the John Hughes films of the eighties um, you know kind of Pretty in Pink or, or those kind of films or similar films where there's a young woman there's a young man but it's, the focus is on the man and the male experience the women are off, often you know sidelined um, and even when they, they are the focus it's a bit naff and it's a bit like. All she wants to do is go to the the prom or get my, you know, it's like, no, sorry, that's not for me. I don't get anything from that. But when I saw this, I was like, yeah, that's it. That's what I want. That's what I want to see. I want to see those, those, those women. They're the stories I want to focus on. Um, And yeah, it's kind of a, I think it's ebbed and flowed over the years. Obviously Nora Ephron was a great writer for women and female characters and great films, you know, but when Harry Met Sally is a wonderful film, um, wonderful screenplay that kind of brings us characters. It's just lovely. And it's, it, it reminds me in some ways of, of, of these films in terms of the way they plays those, those characters off against each other. Um, but yeah, it's, they're few and far between still, you know, even now. Um, we need a resurgence, I think, of those kind of strong female-led um, romantic comedies um, that don't just focus on dresses or whatever. <laughs> Well, I mean, there's some of the some of the John Hughes ones now where they just they just like it's just like this is just like a film about stalking. It's not, yeah. It's not, there's no romance. It's just somebody determined to get someone to say yes, and you kind yeah, of go exactly. okay, yeah, yeah. Right then, moving into your third choice, which is also as we've established in the preamble, is is one of your specialist subjects. It's uh, Bill Forsyth's um, Local Hero from 1983. Where'd you start with that? What's what was that as a discovery for you? Well, this is probably the most personal of all of my choices. Okay. Um, so uh, as a film, it's a, it's a wonderful film. I, you know, I love Bill Forsyth's films. It's a great film. But also it's a very personal film because um, this is the film um, that connects me to my dad. Um, oh, wow. So um, it's his favourite film. Um, and we kind of, um, we bond and connect through our, our love of this film. It's kind of, uh, it's kind of out, played out over the years in terms of when, um, you know, our relationship sometimes can be a bit up and down and it's kind of, you know, sometimes we don't quite get each other, hmm. but then we, we come back to this and this is our anchor and this film, oh, amazing. you know, we, we talk about this film, we talk about uh, Burt Lancaster. So my, my dad is, has always maintained that it's his mantra and it'll probably be on his gravestone that um, there hasn't been a decent film since Burt Lancaster died. <laughs> um, and yeah, he kind of, he's very kind of staunch in, in his view that they don't make films like they used to. Um, but, you know, with the case of Local Hero, he's probably right in some ways. Um, you know, he um, introduced me to this film when I was, um, again, in my teens, uh, made me sit down and watch it, mm. um, you know, as an, as an education, you know, it, it was this and there were other things that, you know, he'd, he'd give me a lecture on the small faces as well. And, you know, in terms <laughs> of music and it was all that kind of thing. 
Yeah. But Local Hero, I absolutely loved it when I, when I saw it. And I was probably, you know, again, maybe 12 or 13. Okay. Uh, maybe not the, the target audience for this film, but I, 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 the warmth and the kind of the, the loveliness of the, the story and the, the way that the film is is made and the characters and the cast, and it's just lovely. And um, it really got me interested in um, thinking more about Bill Forsyth's films. And, um, I've, you know, obviously as, as a result of that interest in, in his films, I've, it's kind of grown over time and I've, I've seen them when I can Oft, often, you know, his, his other films are not as available as local hero is mm. um, or Gregory's girl, but yeah, kind of seeking out more of his work as a result. But it's this film that I always kind of come back to and I must've seen it. I mean, I don't know how many times it's probably the film I've seen the most, okay. I would say oh, over wow. time. Um, and when I'm in need of comfort or when I'm in need of maybe, yeah, kind of re-anchoring or something like that, I, yeah, this is the film I come back to. And, and and kind of watch. It's magical. I think it's a magical film, both from the way it's made, yeah, and that kind of a bit of a magical, realist kind of perspective on life. You know, kind of brought into this story and into this um, this world that he creates um, in Local Hero. But also, it's, it's it's magical for me in terms of kind of the emotions that it, it brings out. Mm. And I know it's the same for a lot of people. They they do genuinely have a warmth and a love for for local hero which mm. you don't see you know for for the many films really you know that real just kind of genuine genuine love for it i think absolutely so what what is it do you think about bill forsyth as a filmmaker that he manages to pull that off because i mean to to a lesser degree but but i think to to the same extent he he achieves that with all the films i've seen of his so so yeah. what what is it about him as a filmmaker do you think that he's getting so right about I guess about the human condition, I guess, is, is what... Yeah, I think that's what it is, about the human condition. And that's the theme that I think runs through all of his films, hmm. um, is 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 that kind of focus on the individual journey and the uh, the conflicts within, um, you know, that person. Um, that is, yeah, he, he's very funny as well. Hmm. The films are very funny, very warm, but funny in a really kind of human way. You know, they're not condescending, they're not kind of trying to be clever, they're just, there's a genuine human warmth and, and and kind of um kind of comedy that's created from that within yeah. them. Um I, yeah, I think, yeah, I think just, even though even though there's like a real drama to it, I still yeah. I think I think that a lot of what he does is he offers us hope in the stories he, he wants to tell. I think he's he's he never does, yeah. he's never mean spirited, is it? There's never a no, sense. No, absolutely. It's never mean spirited. It's really um yeah, there, there are small stories told in you know sometimes in in a kind of quite a small way but mm. actually with local hero there's a there's a you know kind of it's maybe his biggest film in terms of scale you know in terms of the way obviously mm. it's shot and 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 you know it's it's it was a wonderful opportunity for him i think to really kind of demonstrate what he could do as a filmmaker um but in every film you know there is that kind of like you say that focus on the human condition and someone's journey through that um and the the yeah the the just natural uh human comedy I think kind of comes through as well and one thing I always love and it's particularly seen in Local Hero is other side characters you know it's not just one person's journey that is mm. the focus of the film the film is is made up of all the some of its parts in terms of all these small elements that kind of come through the the side characters the little kind of recurring motifs um in, in some of his films um you know the penguin walking around in Gregory's Girl around the school for example or you know in Local Hero there's you know the, the 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 renaming of the boat every five minutes and the repainting, um, the way the locals react to obviously you know the character of Matt coming into the, into the town, just all these little elements which I think make it so um, so warm and 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 lovely and kind of uh, a wonderful watch 
And I think that's what kind of comes through in all of his films. Um, and I wish he'd made more of them. I, you know, I think it's lovely um, to be able to kind of focus on it on each one because each one is different, mm. brings something different. But, you know, there's a lovely kind of um, feel of the filmmaker through through all of his films, I think. Yeah, no, I think I think he's he's a he ends up being a very a very underrated British yeah. filmmaker in the end. I mean, is he, is he on record as saying why he's not made more films? Uh, no, he's he's quite a um, a kind of um, you know he's kind of he, he's not out there all the time. He's, he's quite a um, a quiet man. Mm. You know, he's kind of just living his life, and you know, kind of um, occasionally he'll reemerge and maybe. I guess it's a bit, of, in, a, in, a, in a way, it's a bit like uh, Terence Davis in Liverpool, isn't he? In that sense, then. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just I mean, Housekeeping is a beautiful film, and I know I'm focusing like here on in this conversation, yeah. but Housekeeping is just beautiful, a, a wonderful telling of a beautiful book, and um, really underrated. And I wish more people had seen that film. Yeah, um, including me. You know, I'll have to add myself to that list. Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely have to seek it out. It's hard to find out sometimes, but um, it was reissued a couple of years ago on uh, Blu-ray, um, and it's it's beautiful. And yeah, he's he's a he's a, a love got a lovely eye, you know, kind of for for what makes a, mm. a good human story and a good human um centered film um but yeah i wish he had made there were some films maybe he um maybe shouldn't have made towards the end of his career you know maybe kind of if he'd had more opportunities that he yeah. might have kind of sought out you know and kind of worked on on other things but yeah he, he's he's a great um great example of a well, quietly unique filmmaker well i'm glad to shine a light on him for the people that listen to this podcast who might not have had him at the front and centre of the mind. Uh, I'll just run through your three films. So it's Saturday Night, mm-hmm. Sunday Morning, 1960, His Girl Friday, 1940, and Local Hero, 1983. Yeah. Your book, The Real Diana Doors, is available in all good bookshops. And it your is. Bill Forsyth podcast is called what again? It's called 10,000 Grains of Sand. 10,000 Grains of Sand. I will put links in the show notes uh, to all that. And, if, and it just gives me to say thank you very much for giving your time on the Britflix podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been great. My pleasure. another season of the Palmetto Porch, an original podcast from Discover South Carolina. I'm Devin Whitmire. Join me as I get to the heart of what makes South Carolina such a great place to visit by speaking to the locals who make it so special. Premiering December 5th, find the Palmetto Porch wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information about our show, visit scpalmettoporch.com.